everybody. I am real pregnant, so <laughs> if I am out of breath or, you know, look a little faint up here, just, you know, pretend it's not happening. I don't know. I'll have to tell you. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, it's real life. I'm pregnant. Anyway, today we are concluding a series that we have been in for a while now. Uh, the series called Scent, Finding Purpose in Unexpected Places. And I get to be the one to close out today. The message titled today is, It Really Is That Important. Um, so I'm going to read, this is Acts 15, and this is what happened a couple weeks ago we saw in Acts. And this is where kind of we're going to be picking up today. But I just want to remind us of kind of where the early church has been. Um, Paul's been traveling around ministering, and this is kind of where things are at. So we're going to be reading through a lot of scripture today, but just stick with it. In Acts 15, you should be able to follow along up on the screen. Um, it says this, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now remember, this is after Jesus. Jesus had done a new thing. There was a new covenant. So all of these lists of rules and commands... Basically, Jesus had done something new and was now saying, by grace, you're saved. So there's people coming in saying, no, you've got to be circumcised. And this brought Paul and Barnabas to a sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, basically like, wait, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them and said, brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. <coughs> now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of the Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. So basically what's happening here is Paul's preaching a gospel of grace, a gospel of Jesus, and people are like, wait, wait, wait. Like they've got to be circumcised. That's all we know. Like people have to follow these laws we've been following. And so there's this question going back and forth within the group of believers. Do they need to be circumcised? Do they not? What is the requirements for people to come in? And Paul's... And they stand up here basically, James, saying, or we see James even standing up later saying, hey, guys, let's not require something that neither us nor our ancestors could bear. Why are we putting a yoke that's too heavy for even us when Jesus has done away with it? This was not a requirement, but there was this debate happening. So then the Jerusalem council decides to meet, and they meet to discover and to to wrestle through this question. I love it. We saw last week as this council is wrestling through the question. Now that Jesus has done what he's done, what do we require of people? It's a new day, a new covenant. So what are the requirements? We know that Gentiles are adopted into this family, but how do we live together? How do people who were once on the outs and us who were once bound by a list of rules 
do we merge and live as one family? So the council decided what should happen, and they wrote a letter to the Church of Antioch. And then we're going to pick up as they are delivering this letter to the church in Antioch in Acts 15, 22 through 35. So this is the letter they wrote, and they're getting ready to deliver it. So in verse 22, as we skip ahead, it says, The apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. We have heard that some of you from us, without our authorization, came and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food, sacrificed to idols, from blood, from meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So that's the letter. And then it continues. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who were themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with a blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Okay, so let's break this down. We're going to go back through this. I know there's been a lot of scripture. We're going to go back through and we're going to break this down piece by piece. So basically... The council's letter in verse 22, the apostles and elders, the whole church, decided to choose some men to go forward with this letter. It says, with them, they sent the following letter. And then I love it because the letter then goes on to say, some of us went out without authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose men. Basically, we decided to choose the best of our men to send with this letter, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. So basically what's happening in this portion of scripture is what's happening in the church is a lot of hearsay, a lot of division, a lot of, well, Paul said we don't have to be circumcised. And then you have some Pharisees swooping in, other believers saying, "Uh uh-uh, don't believe Paul. Paul's like a crazy young person who has crazy beliefs. Don't believe him. You need to be circumcised. So there was this division happening, a lot of hearsay. This person said this, this person said that. People, believers, a part of the same family coming in behind Paul and undoing what he had done, what he had taught, and claiming that it was false. Some believers holding to new, some believers embracing the old, some embracing the new, both believing they're right. Sound familiar? (laughs) a lot like today right like what source is correct (laughs) who's telling the truth look if I want to believe this I can YouTube anything and find anything to justify what it is that I believe if I want the Bible to say this I can get on YouTube I can Google something to validate what it is I want to be said and here I love it with the ancient early church 
they were still like, wait, who's right? (laughs) Do we get circumcised? Do we not? Because some say we do and some say we don't. But this was common within the early church. I love it because we're living in 2019, (laughs) America, and still having the same issues of the early church. Man, what's the source? Because people back then could write a letter. There could be a letter written, but there was still the question of did Paul really write that letter? How do we know that Paul really wrote that? How do we know that didn't come from someone else? How do we trust this source? How do we know that this is what God is really saying? So what we're seeing here is the council of Jerusalem, the trusted elders of the faith, sending four men (laughs) with this letter so that the church of Antioch could know this is real, this is a good source, and this is true. So that there would be no confusion. It resolved the problem by sending trusted people. And they sent them back from Jerusalem to Antioch. We know because we've been reading through Acts that Paul's already been to Antioch. He's already been preaching this, and he's got to go back to preach it all over again. And they didn't just send him, but they sent four good, trustworthy men. I think we have a map of what this route looked like. And if you look at this, look, like Antioch wasn't like the next city up. Like, they're like, oh, it's no big deal. Just go up to Antioch and explain this to everybody. No, this was like 370 miles. If they went by water, it's one week by sea if there's good wind, and three weeks by land. So it was that important that the Antioch church understood that this was the truth. It was that important for four godly, trustworthy men to travel all the way back to Antioch so that this could be heard and understood. What Paul had been fighting for, laying down his life for, risking it for, was true. That the Jerusalem Council and the Holy Spirit said that this was true. That Paul and Barnabas weren't just troublemakers, unorthodox pastors with crazy out-of-the-box ideas. No, but what they were saying was true. That no matter what others said, Paul had been right and that they were welcomed into the faith of God. That they didn't need to be circumcised. That they were all one family, one team, Jews and Gentiles united in Christ. And I love it because it was that important that that division was squished. It was that important. I love it because you think about things, they could have so easily just been like, oh, just let the Antioch church, like, you know, figure it out. Just let them figure out whether they need to be circumcised or not. Just let them figure out who's telling them the truth. The people coming in behind them or the Paul, the crazy young guy who has new beliefs about Jesus. Just let them figure it out. But the early church understood that it was that important for there to be no division if they wanted the mission of God to succeed. Division angers God's heart enough that it was that important for them to travel three weeks time back to a church of young believers to explain to them the truth so that there would be no division. I love it. It's like the Gentiles are like, so do we get circumcised? Do we not get circumcised? Do we get circumcised? Do we not? What do we have to follow? 
And the letter gets there, and basically the letter is like, well, first let's, let's address the dividers. First let's address those men who want to stir up division. First let's address those people who like to stir the pot, who have come from us but aren't speaking for us. It's interesting that before they even answered the question of circumcision, they addressed the division because it was that important. Men may be preaching a lot of rules. Get circumcised, don't. Do, don't. But division was the first thing addressed. Basically, they were saying, let's make it clear. Those who seek to divide are not the heart of God. First, we have to squish it. And I love it as a pastor. One of our favorite things, which we've gotten in all of our years in ministry, my favorite is when someone comes up to me and says, you know, some people have been talking, and this is what they've said about, you know, the church. And I love it because my first response is, okay, well, obviously you were talking too because you were in that conversation, correct? <laughs> so you just told on yourself to me that you are a part of the division happening within our church, right? First, <laughs> you're coming to me with an issue. First, let's address the division that now I know you are a part of. <laughs> Why did that person feel like they could talk to you about the division within our church, right? There has to be an addressing of first, before this issue gets tackled, let's address division. Because let's address the gossip. Let's address the hearsay before we even talk about circumcision. And I love it because that's what was happening in the early church. They were first coming with this letter saying, hey, we've come, we've met, we have an answer to your question about circumcision. But first, let's address those who have tried to divide the church. Because they're not from us. They're a part of a believer, they're a part of our family, but they aren't speaking truth on our behalf. They addressed first the division because it's that important that the body of Christ is on the same page. Now, I'm not saying we can't disagree with things. I'm saying, not saying we can't wrestle with our beliefs. Look, that's exactly what the Jerusalem Council did last week. We saw in Acts, the Jerusalem Council got together with people, with elders, and they wrestled and they disagreed and they came to conclusions together in an open room in unity. What's being addressed here is side talk. That Paul's preaching, and when he leaves, someone else swoops in to undermine what Paul has said. What's being addressed here is a divisive spirit, division. Not wrestling through scripture, not wrestling together in a united place around the same table, but people undermining one another. And I love it because then they're like, okay, now that we've addressed the dividers, let's talk about circumcision. And then it goes on in verse 28, and it said, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. Basically, the Gentiles needed to know what they're saying is that you're not required too heavy a burden. Circumcision, the mutilation of that, you're not required too heavy a burden. 
but you would do well to abstain from these things. And I love it because if you study this list that they gave him, you could be confused because it's like, well, grace, did they just say grace, but? (laughs) Grace, but you should follow these rules. You don't have to be circumcised, but do these things. Know what they're saying? This list that they gave him, them, was a list of compromise. This was a list from the Jewish church saying, hey, we are having to come from over here (laughs) to you. Like, you've got to understand, these Jewish believers had lived their entire relationship with God, relating to God on a we do this to remain in relationship with you type relationship. So they're saying, hey, we are merging as one family. We're over here. You guys are over here. Grace gets us in, but we would do well to abstain from these things. To meet in the middle, to compromise. This list is a compromise position. Basically saying, hey, we're taking steps closer to you. Will you take steps closer to us? Will you consider your Jewish believers also? Will you as Gentiles who are now in the faith also consider your Jewish family members? You would do well to abstain from these things. It was that important that they go 370 miles to promote unity in the family of God. To bring a list of a compromised position. A list of, hey, we as the church body understand it's grace. It's not circumcision. It's grace and faith that gets you in. But once you're in and you're adopted into this family, we've got to learn to live together in unity. People from this world and people from that world living in unity with one another. Look, if they struggled with this list, was their salvation at stake? No. It doesn't allude to that. What it says is this would be good for you. This would be beneficial for our family. Basically, it's saying if you're adopted in, you're in. (laughs) But it would be good for us to do these things. Because why? Unity matters and your witness matters. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. (laughs) But your witness matters. We've become family. You're adopted. But we've got to live together. Yes, grace, but let's think about one another. We all know the saying, right? Like, everything's permissible but not everything is beneficial. And this list is probably like, yeah, you don't need to be circumcised, you're free, you're in. But not everything is beneficial. Not everything is good, not everything is of good witness. How do we use our freedom? Yes, you're free, but your freedom should be used to serve one another, to submit to one another. And I love it because I feel like these Jews were welcoming them in, adopting into this family of God and actually saying, okay, so live by our family culture. We'll come to you and you come to them, which to me symbolizes true adoption. (laughs) Right? If I were to adopt a child and say, okay, you have different rules than Luca. You don't have to really participate with family dinner. You can eat in the living room, but, like, we're going to have family dinner while you do your thing in the living room because you're, like, apart but, like, not apart. Here they're saying, hey, you're adopted in. We're all sitting at this table together, so let's figure out how this works. How do we witness? How do we be unified to the people who are watching us? 
what is beneficial for our growth? How do we sit at the same table? Because we believe you truly are adopted. <laughs> we truly are one family. So you have to come to us just like we have to come to you. There was a new kingdom culture. And kingdom culture says freedom causes us to lay down our lives for the other. It's uncomplicated to get in, but when you're in, you become a slave and a servant to God and to others. And that's what's happening. They're learning to submit and to serve one another. I love it. Freedom in Christ, we're going to read in Galatians 5, and this is a a long passage, but it's talking about the same thing. In Galatians 5, starting in verse 1, it says this. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery of the law. I love this. It's like no circumcision. Make sure you understand that. Don't go back to it. Make sure you stay free. You're free. <laughs> Period. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. If you're trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you have cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. So it's grace. <laughs> but... We who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. No rules, but love. You are running the race so well, who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I'm trusting the Lord to keep you from believing these false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. Here again, God will judge the dividers. <laughs> Division matters to God. We get so caught up in the rules when God's like, hey, let's talk about the division that you are causing with the rules that you are preaching. And then it goes on, dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as so say I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. <laughs> I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. This is packed with so much goodness and so much that the church, 2019 America, needs to hear. We're free. People are free. God has given easy access. But what do we do with our freedom? We serve one another. 
You don't have to jump through hoops. We lay our lives down for another. And I love it because in this portion of Acts, we see a Jewish family member saying, I'm coming close to you, and I'm laying down my life. I'm traveling 370 miles by foot so that you understand I'm coming to you. But can you come to me also? Because in the body of Christ, there is a new law, and that law is love. And in freedom, we lay down our life for one another. The rules are here, but unity is the heart of God. Don't use your freedom to do whatever you want. Think about your neighbor. And we see both and, right? People that use their freedom to say, well, I'm free. God will forgive me. I'm free. Yeah, but people are watching. (laughs) And people are now confused about what faith is because your freedom is really selfish. And you're feeling really good, but people are watching. But then we have the other end where people who accepted a free gift, believers who themselves accepted a free gift and now are asking others to pay. Can you imagine how that grieves the heart of God? I want the free gift, but I'm in. I'm going to ask you to pay for that gift. I'm going to ask you to meet my list of requirements so that you can get in, even though I got the free gift. We can't use our freedom to become the oppressor. It's interesting. I love it that Paul says, look, the people that want to mutilate you, I wish they'd mutilate themselves. People that want to circumcise you wish they would circumcise themselves. What do we do with our freedom? If you've accepted a free gift from God today, are you offering a free gift to others? Is it free? Do we use our freedom to divide, to make it complicated for people? Because God gets angry at dividers. And it was that important for them to travel that far so they knew that it was uncomplicated. So that they understood it's free. It's the cross of Christ. God is not for division. He is not for using freedom to oppress. It's a free gift for you. Don't make others pay for it. You see, grace requires selflessness, love, a higher price. Grace asks a lot of us. Some of us think grace is like a watered-down gospel. Grace asks a lot. Grace is what sent Jesus to the cross. Grace requires something of us. It requires less of the other person, but a lot of us. And Christians, we don't always like it because grace requires us to lead ourselves. I love it. Paul was like, look, if I was still preaching rules, I wouldn't even be getting any sort of criticism. (laughs) I'm getting criticism because I'm preaching the cross of Christ. And the religious people don't like it. Because religious people would love for it to be on the pastor. You just tell us rules. Tell us to be circumcised. I'll go home and get circumcised. And then it's on you what I did. You have to stand before Jesus for what I did with my life. Because you gave me rules and I'm just following them. Right? 
Paul's like, if I did that, people would love me. There's a saying called sage from the stage, and me and TD always talk about this, because people in church love a sage from the stage. Someone that just tells you what to do, and you can go home and do it, and it's on their conscience, because they're the ones that told you what to do. But if pastors were not sages from the stages, <laughs> it's on you what you do, how you lead your life. And this is what Paul's saying here. Grace requires self-leadership. Grace requires you to lay down your life for the other. But it's a free gift for them. But you would do well to sustain from these things. You would do well to live your life righteous and holy. You would do well to be unified with the family of God. But it's free for people to get into that family, to be adopted in. Where there's freedom, there is not a list of do's and don'ts. But we got to lead ourselves when we are walking in freedom. Grace is not easier. Love is hard. Rules can be easy because they can be followed. Look, you can give a church a rule and you guide them for a day. You teach a church how to think and you guide them for life. We as Christians, we have to learn how to think. <laughs> what God feels about things. Because if we teach a bunch of rules, we'll go out and be dividers. <laughs> who say a bunch of rules, but don't understand unity is first and foremost at the heart of God. Loving your brother and sister. And if we understand how to think about the heart of God, we might explain the rules a bit differently. <laughs> but a lot of people want a church that just tells them the rules so they can go and follow instead of teaches them how to think so they can go and lead. And we're called to be leaders in our own lives who lead ourselves, who lay down our lives for others when it's hard, who give free gifts to people, and we take the brunt of it. I love it. Paul had been stoned. Paul had been abused. Paul had been mocked when he preached to the Gentiles. The Christians didn't like it. They tried to kill him. And here we have Paul who took all these bullets coming back to these people and saying it's still free for you. You see, Paul led his own life. He was righteous, but he didn't make other people pay a cost. He took the cost. Does that sound familiar? A lot like Jesus. The Jesus came and took the cost. And he said, hey, for you, it's free. I'll take the cross. I'll take the cost. And we have a lot of Christians who want the free gift, and then we want to make others pay for it by the cross. <laughs> Instead of saying, hey, for you, it's free. But I'll lay down my life to come close to you. I'll take the cross. Paul, with his freedom, became a servant of men. We are free. What do we do with our freedom? How do we steward our freedom? With selfish gain, by doing whatever we want because we know God forgives us? Or by leading our lives, being witnesses, and handing free gifts out to others? It's free. And then in verse 30, it goes on. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. And the people read it, and they were glad for its encouraging 
message. I love this. Can you imagine the Gentile church sitting up? They're new believers. God had done this cool thing. They were now a part of this thing. And now they're sitting up in Antioch being like, some of these Jews told us we have to be circumcised. Some told us we don't. Do we get in? Do we not get in? Where do we fit in this body of Christ? How how do we believe? How do we serve? They're up there. And then here comes people sent from the Jewish, the Jerusalem council, sent as a voice of God. And they say, you don't have to be circumcised. You're in. Can you imagine? I love it. It says they were excited. They were glad for its encouraging message. They were glad that this was good news. Me, a Gentile, would have been so glad (laughs) that this was good news. Today, do we win people with guilt or with good news? I love it because they didn't just say, hey, it's free, do whatever you want. They still gave them a, well, and do these things, but you don't have to get circumcised. And the people weren't like, oh, God, I have to do these things still. No, they were like, dang, this is good news. This is good for us. God's ways are good news. It was doable for them. They weren't putting a yoke on and a burden on that was too heavy for them to bear. They could do it. It was good news. There were still things to do, but it was good for them. In Romans 6, it says this, but then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Thanks to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey your heart. Obey, wait, where am I? Obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. A lot of times we just like to think, I'm free. (laughs) But I love it because this is pretty much what they're explaining to this new Gentile group of believers. You've put your servanthood. You've now submitted under. You've committed your allegiance to a new master. Now you have a new kingdom culture. You're free from sin but you're now slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example. It goes on in verse 19. From everyday life, because of your human limitations. (laughs) That's funny. What if I just said that stuff when I preach? Because of your human limitations. I'm going to (laughs) just, anyway. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love it because it's like, look, you're free, but now you've submitted your allegiance into Becoming a slave of righteousness. <laughs> you were free when you were sinning, also. It just led to death. <laughs> now you're free and a slave to righteousness, and it leads to life. You can choose your freedom. <laughs> Take your choice. And I love it 
though, because these Gentiles knew, even though there's no circumcision, even though there's freedom for us in, but now we've been given a list of things that would be beneficial for us. They understood that they were now slaves to righteousness, and it was good for them. The letter even says, it would benefit you to do these things. It's good news. And we as the church, so often, we act like it's bad news. Here's your list. Here's the rules. When really it's good news, this is beneficial for us. His ways are for us. They lead to life. And maybe this is too much information this morning. I don't know. But I'm pregnant, have no filter, usually don't anyway. But when me and TD got married, we were both virgins. And I will never forget, after the wedding night, having such a grieved heart for people who will never experience what we experienced. Does God renew and restore and make you new? Yes. But that was a moment in my life where I realized God's ways are good for us. God's ways are right. They aren't just a list of rules. They benefit us. They are good for us. Was I in any way, I think it broke me in a way that I was not judgmental towards anyone who had made different mistakes than I have made. I wasn't like, gosh, we need to tell him. I was heartbroken for people that could never experience the goodness I got to experience in that little portion of my life. And I love it because I believe this is what Paul is saying to these people. I want you to experience the goodness of God. This list I'm giving you, it's for your benefit. You are free. You are in. Now let's live life. <laughs> like let's benefit from the things of God. His ways are good for us. And so many of us, I hear it all the time in church, and that is okay because I used to ask it when I was young. How far is too far? Our thoughts are constantly on like, what can I not do? How far is too far? How far can I go with that person? How far is till I'm not forgiven? How far when really we should be thinking, how good can it get? How close to the Lord can I get? How much life can I suck out of this season? How good can it get? How righteous can I be? How good of a witness can I be? Our Foursquare president wrote this yesterday on his Facebook, and I thought it was so good. He said, Solomon wrote this passage. There are six things the Lord hates and seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. That's strong language, and it's true. <laughs> if that's all you discern, though, you're likely to think of God who has a list of things that he hates. But what if God wanted us to understand and embrace the opposite of these things as well? In other words, you could say, there are seven things that God hates, then it stands to reason that there are seven things that God loves. Both of these lists you need to know. So after a lifetime of observations, I'm convinced that God loves the following. Eyes of humility, lips that speak truth, hands that protect the innocent, the heart that plans good, feet that run to God, a heart not afraid to testify what is true, 
someone that initiates unity among others. Instead of something to avoid, I now have a list of things to pursue. What if we read scripture through those lenses? Not a God who has a list of things that we could do wrong, but God who is giving us a roadmap to life and life to the fullest. There was a list of seven things God detests. But you know what that means? There's a list of seven things God loves. Seven things we can pursue. Seven things we can seek after. The things God asks of us, his kingdom culture, laying down your life to serve another, is good for you. It's like the verse, it's better to give than to receive. Right? We all know this. God knows what he's doing. <laughs> it's good news, and I love it because these Gentiles were happy to be a part. They were happy that this was encouraging news. <laughs> Thank you for saying I don't have to be circumcised. <laughs> Thank you for saying I don't have to be mutilated because God took the mutilation. Thank you for that. But also thank you for giving me a list of things that are beneficial to me. Thank you for looking after me. Thank you for the good news. And then it goes on in verse 32. As we wrap up, it says, Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. It was that important for them to travel 370 miles back to Antioch to live out unity. I love it because they could have came and went. They came, they didn't stay forever, but they stayed. They taught, they discipled. They taught people how to actually do what was asked of them taught them how to think, and not just handed them a list of rules and said, well, follow the rules, good luck. No, they stayed a while. They taught them how to think. They didn't just plop the letter. Living life together, living in unity, living it out was that important. <coughs> and I have to think it was that important for the early church. Could you imagine if unity wouldn't have been such a high priority where we would be today in the body of Christ, if it was a church divided. But I want you to think about where we're going to be in 100, 200 years if the church doesn't get unity in order. If we don't learn how to be a people of unity, not a people of rules, of lists, but a people who understand the heart of God for unity among his family, for unity among those who have been adopted in, for unity among his children. It really is that important to God. It really is that important. Unity matters. And unity is still that important. A little over three years ago, unity was that important to God. When he took two young Californians and moved them to Ponca City, Oklahoma, the little toddler during what I would argue was the most divisive time in our country. And many people don't know this because we know it because we were living it out. But we moved here during the height of the elections. <laughs> during the last few months from LA, <laughs> which thinks very differently, the believers 
think very differently. Not the secular, crazy Californians. <laughs> Believers, our family, the body of Christ, thinks very differently sometimes than the believers in the body of Christ here in Ponca City, Oklahoma. And we moved here during this whirlwind. And I remember being like, how, how do I do this? <laughs> how do I bridge this? But I believe that it wasn't because we're Paul and you're Gentiles that God moved us here. I believe it was that important to the heart of God, that there was unity among his children. That these people and these people could come together in unity. Circumcision aside, uncircumcision aside, can my children sit at the same table, wrestle through issues, and be unified? So today there is no room for dividers. No room. Because unity is still that important to God. Because his mission has to go forward. Do we have to agree on everything? No. <laughs> but we don't come in behind one another, as people were doing to Paul, and blow it all up. <laughs> we sit at tables with one another. Just like they did. They stayed a while. We talk. We relate, we listen, we hear each other out, we learn from one another. Look, we're not throwing theology out the window, but if your theology trumps unity in the body of Christ, you might want to rethink your rules. <laughs> you might want to rethink the way you're communicating to people when God gave a free gift, absolutely free. The cost has been paid, but unity is a part of kingdom culture. So if you are a believer today, you don't get to decide about unity. <laughs> You're a unifier. You're a believer. You take the hits for people. You go to the cross for people. You don't make people pay for something you didn't pay for. <laughs> we are unifiers because it really is that important to God. In the early church, it was 374 miles of walking <laughs> so that the Jewish people and the Gentiles of Antioch could live in unity under a kingdom culture, all one family. Was that important that Paul go back to squish division, to bring unity? And in 2017 or 16, whenever it was, it was 2,500 miles important, I fully believe, that God saw his body unified that we would come together, differences aside, that we've had to come closer to you, right? And if you've lived here your whole life, you've moved here, you know that. We have to come closer, you have to come closer. <laughs> it's the same with the person sitting next to you. They probably think differently than you, probably have a different culture, probably have a different upbringing, probably have a different generation maybe. They think differently. But we're unifiers, we're bridge builders. You've got to go closer to them. They have to come closer to you. That's living in unity in the body of Christ, and it really is that important. So today, what do you do with your freedom? 
With our freedom, do we make it complicated or uncomplicated for others? With our freedom, do we just fulfill our selfish desires or do we become slaves to righteousness and lay down our life for other people? It's free for you. I'll take the cross so that you understand it's free for you because Jesus did that. He took the cross so it could be free for us. It really is that important because God is all about people. Rules do not trump people. (laughs) He died for people. Unity matters to the heart of God. It really does matter that we become a family of God, unified Jews and Gentiles at the same table children of God. So as we pray this morning, if the worship team wants to come up,